Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this weekly program. And I do welcome you. Uh, we're coming to you from the Coming Home Network International Studios, Central Ohio, but we're coming specifically to you over EWTN Radio, which is a great privilege. And we're just glad to be a part of the EWTN family. Um, our guest today on Deep in Scripture is Father Patrick Rowan, Captain, U.S. Army, retired. Um, he, if you listen to the journey home on Monday night, he was a returning guest. He had joined me previously on the journey home in which he shared his journey of faith. And uh, most recently, last Monday night, he uh, talked even a little bit more about his work in the service as a chaplain, and especially this week of July 4th and uh, celebrating our freedoms. We had a good discussion Monday night, but now on the Deep in Scripture program, what I like to do with the guests is to challenge them a little deeper. Okay, we know Scripture had a big part in your in your conversion to the Catholic Church, but also your continuing understanding of the faith. Just to remind you of, of Father Patrick's journey, he's a revert to the Catholic Church. He's the oldest of five. He was raised Catholic in northwestern Ohio, my neck of the woods. Although he briefly considered the priesthood in eighth grade, he fell away from the church after joining the military after high school. While stationed in Italy in 1978, the same year Pope John Paul II was elected, he left the church. Books by a well-known dispensationalist, rapturist, which were very popular in the late 1980s or so, all through the 1980s, um, made him made a great impression on him. He later went to Moody Bible Institute and was ordained in an independent fundamentalist church. He describes that a few years later he was close to burnout and searching again for answers. Father Rowan continued his education, graduating from the University of Toledo with a Bachelor's of Science degree, and then eventually went on to St. Meinrad Seminary where he earned both a Master's of Arts and a Master of Divinity degree. Father Patrick was ordained to the Catholic priesthood in 1996. After serving temporarily in the Diocese of Helena, Montana, Father Patrick was recalled to active duty with the United States Army as a chaplain, captain in the Army. Father Rowan served in, his capacity from, in this capacity from 2003 to 2007 in our nation's ongoing global war on terrorism. Father Rowan is now a retired priest who continues to minister in the Diocese of Toledo. While studying for the priesthood, Father Patrick was able to do extensive research on the three primary men who developed the rapture theory so widespread in America today. Father Rowan demonstrates how these men, Father Nelson Darby, C.I. Schofield, and Ellis Chafer, I think that's how you say it, started this largely 20th century North American eschatology. And that background is helped is what led to Father Rowan choosing the passage that we're going to look at on today's program. And before I read that passage, I just want to remind you that the Deep in Scripture program is directly connected to our website. And if you go to chnetwork.org, that's the Coming Home Network site, and click on Watch and Listen, you can listen to the Journey Home program, the archives of the Journey Home. You can listen also to Deep in Scripture. All the archive programs are there. You can watch us even now as you're listening to us. Watch Father Rowan and I sitting here in the studio. And there's a lot of archives and things to help you understand the beauty of our church. So I want to make sure you check it out. Our website's been recently completely redesigned, actually, by my son, John Mark. I'd love you to check it out. So let me read today's text, which is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And we'll take a break, and Father Rowan will join us. This is St. Paul writing. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of stress, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, fierce, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. Avoid such people. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, 
your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Gerdai's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Gerdai's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Father Patrick Rowan. Hello, Father Rowan. Oh, it's good to be here, Marcus. It's well, good to, to see you again, too. It's been a while. Thank you. And, uh, and thanks for joining us on Deep in Scripture. I... I th- thoroughly enjoy doing the Journey Home program, but I'm I'm almost getting to the point where I equally, if not more, enjoy doing this kind of follow-up deep in Scripture program because not often on the Journey Home program is there the time to dig into Scripture right. to see its place in the journey. Now, let me ask you, given this passage, um, you come from a dispensationalist, rapturous background. Right. My guess is this passage was a key part of that. That is correct. And uh, it is still a part of my ongoing journey as a Roman Catholic priest. <clears throat> However, I've been able to look at things a little differently now <laughs> than I did uh, when I spent time at the Moody Bible Institute of Chicago or in the independent fundamentalist churches in which at that time I was involved as part of my ministry. You know, it's funny, and from a Catholic perspective, it's taken a while for me truly to appreciate a significant difference between what is central to the work of a priest versus central to the work of a Protestant minister. When I was a Protestant minister, what was central was the preaching of the gospel. Right. All right. From a Catholic perspective, we recognize the beauty, and of course this goes all the way back to the beginning, especially in early church fathers, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial ministry centered around the Eucharist. It's not that we don't believe in the proclamation of the gospel, no, right. but at the center of the proclamation of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus, right. his sacrifice for us. And so it's, it's really the sacrificial ministry. And the reason I, I also say is that I've often wondered whether at times amongst the dispensationalist rapturists, the central of everything they do almost gets to be this message of the rapture, Mm -hmm. almost like more important than anything else. Mm -hmm. Depends on how you understand the end times, the rapture, whether you're able to read the signs of the times. I would say in my experience, and uh, I came, was very involved with the, many facets of the evangelical church, uh, that primarily amongst the so-called younger believers, that is, people my age at the time, there was a fascination with what we would refer to as speculative theology Hmm. in regards to eschatology. And I don't mean to be super deep in that, but what that means is it felt good to sit around and think about what things might be like at the end of the world and there was a lot of discussion about it. In fact, there was so much discussion about it sometimes that uh, our pastors in those churches would say, we need to move on to other issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And But that's very, very important. And I knew of one pastor in particular who basically ended his ministry. He became so involved in predicting the end. He was trying to name years that the end with a capital T and a capital E would come, known as yeah. the eschaton, the end of the world that he, he basically neglected his church and the people ran him out. 
he couldn't do it anymore. And uh, another one who retired because he got so involved in it that uh, it consumed his ministry at the expense of pastoral care of his people. I've had a guest on the Journey Home program for now. I just at the moment I can't think of. It was a couple and their names, but part of their journey was that they were so convinced in the approaching end times that they were not supposed to get married. They were not supposed to worry about their future careers. It's not going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So they were in a form of, quote, limbo from a Protestant perspective that it's almost like the way many people felt in 1999 when we're trying to figure out what Y2K was going to do with our lives. I mean, there were some that thought that was going to be the end of the world. There were others that just said, well, we're going to go through a recession like we're going through now. You know, that so they, their, their future was on hold. It was hard to commit to tomorrow. And the rapturous, particularly, I mean, we're, we're, right now, as we're speaking here, Father, we're in the, between the time that a, a certain radio broadcaster said that rapture was supposed to come a week or, or a month ago. And right. now it's going to be in October sometime, supposedly. Yeah. <clears throat> and when you read passages like the one that I just read, and you look at the world around you, it can be very convincing that, man, Absolutely. We're, we are in the end times, mm-hmm. right? That's right? And to a certain extent, isn't it true that throughout the last 2,000 years, at different points in history, there have been a number of, of very significant Catholic theologians, other theologians that have thought that this referred to, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 1,000 years ago when they lived, when they looked at the day and age in which they were living. Certainly, this passage would describe many different people in many different places at many different times, past, present, and future. And one might also have thought, for example, just for example, that that passage was relevant, say, during the 14th century when the great plagues were coming and people were dying in Europe by the thousands and thousands, and certainly many people thought the end was coming then. Uh, But yes, this passage uh, can be grasped in a number of different ways, and there are certain people who take it from a premillennial dispensational point of view, which... You're probably going to need to describe premillennial. Okay. There are in, uh, or rather there is in the general realm of Christianity, and by that I mean the Greek church, the Roman church, the Protestant church, Christendom, okay, three, from what I can tell, primary views about, uh, generally speaking, the the end of the world. One would be premillennialism, which is by far the smallest in the minority view in theological circles. That means that the end of the world will actually happen after Jesus is on the earth for a thousand years. This is what they believe in, a literal reign on the kingdom, okay? And they those people will exam, example will actually say that the Sermon on the Mount is to be reserved, that teaching and practice, for that particular period of time, not now. Premillennial, dispensational. Dispensations meaning the Bible is divided into different categories, different economies, so to speak. Mm-hmm. All right, another one, exactly the opposite, and they don't get along, if you put two of them in the same room, are the post-millennialists, all right? It's like the old Lazarus effect in the Star Star Trek series. You, you know, you put them together and they're going to annihilate each Just other, right? doesn't yeah. work, okay. <clears throat> and uh, I can think of a number of people, in fact, I talked to them, and they would say, no, basically uh, Christ has already came, and uh, uh, what we need to do is really, you know, we need to really implement that kingdom now. And, and one one author uh, actually called for uh, draconian interpretations of the scriptures to execute. He had a list of people that would be executed if the kingdom were implemented in the proper way it was supposed to be implemented. Yeah. Postmillennialist. Okay. And and again, I, I don't have as much expertise in that particular area. I've studied from the premillennial point of view primarily. And then there is the larger group that encompasses probably most of us, the amillennialists, okay, which we believe, simply speaking, to put it in layman's terms, at some point the end will come. Now let me tell a very little quick story here. Someone asked me one time, well, Father Owen, now that you're a priest, are you a premillennialist, a postmillennialist, or are you an amillennialist? And I said, no. I'm a panmillennialist. I think it'll all pan out someday just fine. (laughs) But I joke with that because... 
it's really a serious matter. The amount of money that's tied up in this, particularly in predicting the end of the world and time, yeah, uh, and 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 spiritual neglect and abuse, perhaps at times. And I want to be careful by saying many of the people who believe these things are wonderful people. All right. Well, because it's an, it's inspired within their lives a, right. a diligence to live their life faithfully because they want to be ready. Exactly. Yeah. They're going to prepare, and they mean well, and they're sincere. Uh, uh, but by the same token, there are, are those who have taken advantage of this, okay, and have exploited. Uh, I mean, the amount of speculation that goes on. Now, there are other things we can speculate about. Uh, we could speculate about heaven, uh, but we can't make a lot of definitive statements about it. We need to go back to the teaching, excuse me, of the church and what the church has to say about the matter. Right, right. Yeah, I recently become more and more aware of a group called the Preterists, which are a group that believe that Revelations was essentially fulfilled with the destruction of Jerusalem and that it, it, it all was literally applying to only the events around the fall of Jerusalem in the, the around 70 AD. And so there are different levels of that. Does it apply to anything to the end of times? Is it only fulfilled? And the, my point being, there are so many views out there that in the end, often I feel they, on the one hand, they detract from what is central, living a holy life in obedience to Christ, being ready at any time right. to stand before him. That's, that's, that's one of the goals. Um, and, of course, the other goal is to recognize that we have a responsibility to everyone around us so that they are ready. Correct. That's really what it's all about. Uh, the other negative part of some of these things is that it's driven by fear. It really is driven by fear. And you get people that are so caught up and convinced in it from the pulpits. Correct. That they either shell out a lot of money or they put their lives on hold. They're afraid to, to pull themselves away from that belief because they're afraid, well, may, what if these guys are true? What if they're right? Well, and there they are. You know, they, they, they don't know who to, to turn to. Right. One of the things I would say just briefly about this, this thinking came about primarily uh, through uh, the work of J.N. Darby, who was from Northern Ireland, and he really— A brethren pastor. A brethren pastor introduced or made popular— uh, the notion of the rapture, okay? Now, the word rapture is used in the Greek and the New Testament, but he wrote volumes on, on eschatology and other things. Then he met C.I. Schofield, who wrote the Schofield Reference Bible, and his notes in particular define all these dispensations. He sensationalized it. And he, in turn, met uh, Louis Sperry Chafer, Dr. Chafer, who founded Dallas Theological Seminary, where yeah. they systematized it, okay? And the thinking, it, not, it doesn't come strictly out of Dallas Theological Seminary, and there are wonderful people there. Right. Uh, I want to be very clear. They are God-fearing people, good Christian people, uh, but they are the ones who, and there are other seminaries, and in Moody, it's theology department at the Moody Bible Institute, was, was dispensational. What I would say about this, finally, is that it is a fairly recent phenomenon in the church, uh, Primarily American, English, uh, or British, rather. Uh, it was only recently that it came in, and it has not been around or the official teaching of the church, and the vast majority of Christians don't hold to it. And, and one of the reasons it spread, as you mentioned, that the Schofield Bible became a bestseller. Right. And so people who bought the Schofield Bible assumed that the notes were accurate. Because all of Schofield's ideas, as well as the rapture, are in the footnotes. They're not in the text. So you read the Bible. The question is, how inspired are the, the notes? Right. And if, if you, unless you have an authority that can, can correct you and guide you, which is, of course, what we believe that the church was established for, right. you're left on your own. And they're really good people. And with the Schofield Bible alone, were driven to dedicate their entire lives to this particular theology. Now, this passage, I'm going to read it again, Father. Uh, it's not a long passage, but um, you mentioned me before the show that that you're not do, you don't do Bible studies very often anymore, <laughs> and, and that's a good thing to bring up because some of our Protestants think, yeah, Catholics, priests don't do Bible studies. Uh, I, first thing I would say to them, yes, it's been a while since I've done an official 
Bible study, but we teach Scripture in RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults, for our converts. And by the way, we have more Bible on our Sundays than <laughs> many Protestant churches do. We have an Old Testament reading, uh, a psalm, a New Testament reading, uh, a verse, and then a gospel. Okay? That's right. That's right. So we still study the Scriptures. You know, faith is essentially intertwined with what the Scriptures do, but we have to tie that in with the church to guide us. That's why there's so much confusion, and we have these erroneous yeah. statements that come out. You know, I, I think back on my life when I was a Presbyterian pastor. I was assistant pastor, then associate pastor. When I was a solo pastor, my church was 185 members. Then when I became a senior pastor, it was a large Presbyterian church of 370 families hmm. with a staff of nine. Well, often Catholic churches have 2,000 families and one priest. So it's hard for the priest to find that wonderful time that I always had to teach a nice Wednesday night Bible study. You would love to do that. Sure, absolutely. So that's why I invited you here on the radio to have this Bible study that you don't often get the chance to. Let me read this passage again quickly. Those of you listening, if you didn't hear it when I read it earlier, does this describe today? Paul writes, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of stress, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, fierce, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. Avoid such people. Someone could almost say, boy, when Paul wrote that, he was having a bad day. (laughs) It is a powerful passage of Scripture. Um, I like to think I've had a good, strong cup of coffee before I read it in the morning, okay? It's, It's a serious subject. It is. So jump into it for us because I do think people could say, whoa, that's today. Well, the first thing I would say is a a point earlier you made. Always remember to look at the words of the scriptures rather than what some other Bible has in its uh, footnotes, okay? We're going to look at the passage, and what we're doing here is I attempted through prayer to exegete this passage, which means you look in the original language, and in this particular passage, it was written in Greek. Now, you must understand at the time, the trade language of the world was Greek. Uh, As is today, it is English. If you go to Abu Dhabi, the air traffic controller will speak English. At that time in the world, it was Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. And so Paul is writing this letter about the year 65 or 66 AD. Uh, And I want to say AD and not CE. It is in the year of our Lord, not common era. Okay. (laughs) In the year of our Lord, 65 or so. He is writing from jail, we think, based on what we looked at. It's one of uh, three letters that he wrote known as the pastoral epistles. Okay, um, They're intensely personal. And he's writing to his close friend and associate, Timothy. And as he writes from jail uh, shortly before his death, we believe he was beheaded, uh, he gives Timothy a lot of instructions uh, dealing on a number of topics, including how to work in the church. But he also warns about false teachings and problems that are coming. And uh, Timothy, by the way, as far as we know, tradition holds that he was uh, executed, uh, martyred, uh, and might have been very well a bishop of Ephesus. Okay, uh, but th- we, we know they were they were they were very close, and they trusted each other implicitly. And so he gives these instructions. And uh, in this particular passage, we're looking at about twenty or so key words, which we'll talk about. Okay, good. That's a wonderful background to that. As I've emphasized on this program, one of the key things to any passage is interpreting it within the context and not taking it out and just putting it in today's context, but the other way around. So thanks, Father. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined by Father Patrick Rowan, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. Hi, this is Jerry Usher reminding you to listen to Vocation Boom Radio Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern exclusively on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Each week I bring you dynamic interviews with bishops, priests, vocation directors, even seminarians and those who support them, all in an effort to assist the Holy Spirit in what is truly a vocation boom around the world. That's Vocation Boom Radio Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern only on EWTN Radio. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic, but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Father Patrick Rowan. We're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. And there's a lot in here to, to talk, but as I, we talked during the break, I think one of the key things about looking at a passage like this is because there are people that are out there that are so convinced in what some of their pastors say that they're afraid to challenge them and to move away from strange or erroneous teaching. Right. They're, they're, it can even become somewhat spiritually abusive. Uh, uh, I remember sitting down with 15 former members of a particular fundamentalist church that I was in and the anger that came out where they had been confused and the pastor had been intolerant of the fact that they believed otherwise. So we must be very careful when we teach Scripture. Okay. All right, let's jump back into this passage. You said there were some key terms you want us to look at. Well, yes. I, If you take a look carefully at it, uh, I would say there are perhaps 20 key words give or take a few in between. But to begin with, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, know this. The word in Greek is gnosko, and it means be aware, be resolved, be assured, understand. In other words, you better take for certain and for granted that what I'm telling you is important. Know it, have knowledge. And we got to be careful with knowledge. Knowledge can be abused, mm -hmm. okay? But He's saying, be certain of what I'm about to tell you. And then he uses the word eschatos for last. The last times. He says, know this, that in the last or latter times, dangerous times will come. The word eschatos means the farthest, the final, the uttermost time. V with a capital T, E with a capital E for the end. However, it could apply to other times as well, because sometimes Scripture speaks to people through the church in different ways at different times. But he nonetheless says there does seem to be a teaching here that towards the end of the world, that as we approach it, most difficult times will come. Uh, for example, it, it says dangerous times or perilous times, uh, times in which there is... Uh, great difficulty. And in fact, that word time is interesting to look at too because the Greek word is chronos, like chronology. Right. Uh, fixed or special occasions might be a way of interpreting it from the pure Greek. That during these particular times or time or times, most difficult occurrences will occur. And he names some of them. Now, there oh, could yeah. be others, okay? Right. Uh, for example, he says that men and women, human beings, 
will be lovers of themselves. In other words, in the Greek, fond of themselves or selfish. Now let's pause just just briefly. We'll talk about that. Now I would ask our audience and anyone to think about someone or some people who have at times been selfish. Now there's nothing wrong with loving ourselves in the sense that God said we must love our neighbor, love ourselves, and love God. But this is opposed to being totally, completely selfish. Uh, an example. It's hard to be a Christian when you drive an automobile. Uh, it's it, 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 We get selfish and protective of our lanes and what goes on. And we have to remember we need to be Christian. Try to pray maybe for that other driver if possible without getting distracted. I just use that lightheartedly to say, though, there seems to be a time right now where people are very, very selfish in many ways. Yeah. It's the almighty me generation in almost what I would call a post-Christian post era, so to speak, mm-hmm. where a lot of people don't believe what the scriptures are saying. But he also goes on to say that they're covetous. And I, when I looked that word up, it has the word fond of silver in the Greek, if you take a look, uh, and money. And uh, certainly there are people, who, their families are, are, I hear about people fighting over money. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and they won't talk to each other for years and years, and ultimately it goes back to money. And there's nothing wrong with having money. It's the love of money that is the root of evil, okay? Mm-hmm. And if I covet, now there's nothing wrong with being a little bit jealous once in a while. I mean, you... you That's the human condition. Sure, it's <laughs> a human condition. But to, 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 to get caught up in these things, and then here's another one, uh, boastful, haughty braggers and someone's saying well father we've always had those kind of things yes but he's indicating here he he's telling timothy that towards the end it's going to be more pronounced and i think it's at this point it would be helpful to say that the church says in the catechism for those who really want to know what is taught about the end with a capital t capital e also known as the eschaton the end of the world that before it happens there will be a great falling away what does that mean? We're not exactly sure. Uh, it certainly could be said that they will not believe the true faith that is the church of our church, the Roman Catholic Church, and perhaps even many within our own church will fall away. It's a scary thought. It's a sobering thought. So we know that it, it hasn't happened yet, praise the Lord, okay? But it could could happen. And let just me add to that, that that just also points back in history that there were Catholics that thought after the Reformation that that falling away has happened at different places in history. And what I would say also about this issue of the pride and the arrogance and and that, why it might be different even today than before, is that we have this pervasive social networking uh, in the Internet world that to a certain extent allows a spread of arrogance in a way that was never there in the history of the world. It doesn't mean that that social networking is inherently evil. That's not the point right? at all. But it means we need to be disciplined in our holiness to make sure that we're not getting sucked into this idea where all of a sudden we think that everybody in the world needs to know that I had a cup of coffee this morning at 6 o'clock, and then at 6.15 I went out and got the newspaper. Right. I mean, talk about a focus on self. Right that invades the world, we got to be careful. We have to be careful. There's, there, and you know, he goes on with other issues. In the information age, obviously, it's so much is available that, yep. uh, that we didn't have before. Uh, one of the most deadly sins, pride. In the Greek, it says uh, appearing above others, haughty, stuck up. Pride is the most deadly of the sins. It is destructive. It is subtle. It is what caused Lucifer to become Satan. It is something that I've seen. I can work with a person who's drug addicted, uh, perhaps by addicted to alcohol and gambling a lot easier sometimes than I can with someone who thinks that there's nothing wrong with him or her, that they are absolutely perfect and everybody else has a problem. And we need to realize we're all sinners. Pride will be more pronounced. And then the word blasphemy, in the, in, in the Greek it is blasphemous. 
uh, impious it means to to be a despiser of that which is holy or of God. Uh, there seems to be a lot of disregard for that which is sacred today. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a a warning there. Now, one that I kind of have fun with in this is disobedient to parents. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I can say I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job of being obedient to mine and help take care of mom and dad now uh, as much as I can, spending time with them. But this means being unpersuadable. Your parents might ask you to help them as they were dying or something. I use that as an illustration. Completely ignore their needs. Disobedient also in I can't persuade you to stay off of drugs or to avoid these dangerous situations or to get involved with un healthy people who are unsafe for you to be around. I don't care what you have to say, mom and dad. You know, this is what some people think. And there are various reasons for it. But he indicates that this will be a problem. There's even a time of problem with, between Jesus. He talked about otherwise holy people that instead of their inheritance going to their parents, they were giving it to holy causes. Mm-hmm. And therefore they felt they didn't have to give the money to their parents because it was set aside as, you know, for a holy cause. Well, wait a second right, here. Right. One of the Ten Commandments is honoring honor father, father and mother. mother. That's right. one of the top ten. Right. And yet this is saying that there will come a time, and we live in this time where it's it's tough out there. Again, the social networking and the, the culture we live in in this culture sometimes makes it difficult for parents to have authority with their children. Well, and there's this idea that sometimes parents are going to be their children's best friend. It doesn't work out that way. Or you, you, or someone said to me, well, I don't care about my dad. I, uh, this individual said, I'll just send him over to the nursing home. I said, you know, honor thy father and thy mother. It doesn't mean we have to agree with them on everything, okay? Or we may just strongly disagree, but we love them, okay? And then he persists a little bit more. He, he talks about being ungrateful, just taking things with uh, a thankless attitude, a sense of entitlement almost, uh, you know, we need to say thank you. you. How much difference that makes to send a card to somebody? Here's a positive way, and, and uh, say thank you. I, I sent a thank you note on someone the other day who cooked a dinner at a restaurant. Be thankful. Be thankful for much. But this is saying there's going to be a spirit of unthankfulness. The next word that's used, moving right along, is unholy, which means wickedness. Wickedness can come in many different ways. Uh, Sometimes we tend to associate it with one or another particular activity, but there are many ways in which someone can be wicked. For example, one of the seven deadly sins is sloth, failure to do one's responsibility. The great civil rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one time said, it is always the right time to do the right thing. Okay. And Failure to do what is right. As a chaplain in the Army, I had used to explain, if you see a soldier being abused or there's a problem, you need to report it. End of discussion. Hmm. And so uh, th- 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 that could be a form of wickedness in not doing that. Uh, the list goes on and mm-hmm. on, and we obviously don't have time to cover all of it, but one of the things he says in here is that uh, he mentions false accusers, and that word is diabolos. Interesting word in the Greek, which means Satan or devil or slanderer, to, to destroy someone's reputation, to, to kill them in spirit, uh, to back someone into a corner and, and, and lie about them. These are, are uh, uh, terrible forms of evil. And we sadly, we can see this can happen where someone's good name will be wrongly accused. Uh, by the way, lying in court is called perjury, okay, and we're to tell the truth. And Satan uh, was a slanderer, and that means tearing someone down, saying evil about them. We have to we have to be able to communicate if there's a problem, but we've got to be careful not to fall into that trap. Well, and I was going to say another part where we see that today is, yes, there are people who are victims, but there are also people that accuse others unfalsely of things. Right. And that accusation in itself becomes the conviction. Exactly. And that's running rampant in our world today, also because we live in a litigious world where you can sue anybody for almost anything. Mm-hmm. I'll give you just a brief point on this. I had a soldier one time who was in trouble in the Army, and he was alleged to have uh, committed a, a very serious crime. 
And while he awaited his uh, trial by court-martial, I was tasked with his pastoral care. And I had people telling me in the chapel, oh, he did it, he did it. I said, how do you know he did it? Well, I just know. I said, no, you don't know. I said, he's an American citizen. He's a soldier. Yep. He will get a trial. And if he did it, if. But see, already he was tried and convicted by some of these people who jumped to conclusions. And there's a, we have to be careful. We don't destroy yeah. someone. People are precious and people are fragile. And only he with out sin can throw the first stone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He he moves on a little bit here as we approach uh, kind of the end of the passage. He, he uses other words such as uh, fierce, uh, uh, kind of a despiser of someone who is good, uh, treachery, being a traitor. Uh, that was one in the military we were always worried about handing someone over to the enemy. But that can be in a anyone's life the word to backstab uh uh not to be up front to to hurt someone there seems to be an indication that people will be more concerned again about getting ahead and not worried about the other person and their needs stubborn he uses uh high-minded uh that word is uh in the greek talks about to be enveloped with smoke to be inflated with self-conceit these are, again, and a lot of this goes back to what uh, groups like AA and such groups will talk about the ego, okay? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the almighty me rather than the other person uh, and his or her need. Now, the warning then, he switches, says that they have a form at many of these people, an appearance, or they seem to resemble that which is godly. So we're, we, it might even be people in the church who are practicing these things. They seem to be nice people and godly on the outside, but on the inside, they're not. And, and this is not to confuse people, but it's just to say that just because someone works for the church or, or works as a doctor doesn't mean they're necessarily following the teachings of the church or the correct medical practices, to use an example. Uh, and finally in there, he he says that they will deny, though, the power of God, and he makes it very clear in the end here. When you see these kind of people, regardless of the time, now or in the past, regardless of the place, regardless of the relationship, he says, separate from this kind of activity. The word is op at repo, avoid. To separate, to depart, uh, to to reverse if necessary. We have to be careful that we don't judge, but we cannot be involved in that kind of behavior. It's practical Christian living. Okay, we have to love one another. Okay, we don't necessarily have to like one another. I can think of plenty of people that I don't necessarily like. Okay, <laughs> but I have to love them. Okay. Uh, that was the commandment, love God, love neighbor, and love self. So this passage here gives some indication that towards the end of the world, but we can't say for sure when or how that this will happen. Okay, let's take our final break, Father. When we get back, that's the key question I want us to look at. Okay, how do we, we can look around and see these passages real all around us, and mea culpa, we're guilty ourselves. What does this say to us? about the time in which we live. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Father Patrick Rowan, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at one 800 664 
Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, joined today by Patrick, Father Patrick Rowan, and we're having a great time talking about the Scripture with very little time left. Um, you ended, I mean, that's a great uh, exposition of this passage, Father, to help us understand Paul's warning, and he ends with very strong words. Mm-hmm. Avoid such people. Separate yourself. Mm-hmm. But... The danger is that any one of us might look around and and maybe enumerate people we see in the church, exactly whatever church you're in, and decide, okay, that's there, so does that justify schism? Absolutely not. We have to be very, very careful in this, again, coming into judging, to be humble. We have to realize there's a problem, but we must avoid the other problem, which means we write off the authority. Let's just say, for example, that a person is upset with someone in his or her parish and says, I'm going to go and go to another religion because of it, or I don't like this particular uh, bishop or pope or whoever, and I'm going to go somewhere else. The Church of Jesus Christ is foundational for salvation. It doesn't mean that we are all perfect. We are sinners. All of us are sinners. None of us is perfect. We can all fail. But we must be very careful in using this passage not to beat people up with it, not to uh, use it as justification uh, to write off uh, proper church authority and people in the church. Yeah, we, Paul, in a number of places, says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so he was freely saying, that his life should match what he says. And he said that to Timothy, too, and Peter said that in First Peter 3, you know, that we have to give her a reason for the hope that was in you, but make sure your conscience is clear, mm-hmm. your life. And Paul said, admits in Philippians chapter 3, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. So this doesn't mean when we see a bishop that we don't like or we don't think is living according that we can separate from the church. It may mean that we have to be careful who we imitate. Right. Because there may be a bishop or a priest or a religious or a Catholic layman. There may be a TV talk show host (laughs) whose life is not the kind that we should emulate as he or she seeks to follow Jesus. We have to follow the teaching of the Lord. The Lord was always forgiving, uh, patient. Uh, He... He, he took good care of people. Um, I, I always remembered uh, uh, very quickly a story my commander said, when you had to counsel a soldier, just pretend uh, when you were a lieutenant that you had the soldier's uh, battalion commander, which would be your boss, behind him and his mother, and you won't have any problems. Okay. <laughs> so if we treat people well, we need to be aware and we need to talk, and that's different than gossip. If you go and sit down with your priest or a doctor or a lawyer, a family friend in confidence and talk about these. But we have to be careful not to write off our diocese or our bishop or or, 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 or our pope or, or anyone for that matter, completely write them off. We must avoid schism because we are the church founded by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he says uh, in, in Scripture, as we have heard, there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. And... Thank God for the church. But these are warnings, hopefully a little bit of practical uh, suggestions. Well, and the Internet at this point in time can can really make this uh, just ex- be exponential. Mm-hmm. The, the phrase, be slanderers, was one of those. Well, someone says, that man is a slanderer because of, of what I heard somebody said he did. And you just slandered when you said that. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. it just it just exponentially goes on and on. Is this a sign that we're in the end times, Father? I, I, I would say, from what I can tell, the way things are going, we're, we, can, we can definitely say this. We're closer to the end now than we ever have been before. Okay, There does seem to be an increase of rapidity uh, in this kind of behavior. I mean, I said earlier, we're almost in a, listen carefully, post, post-Christian era where much of society just doesn't even recognize. So one must say also, but how long will the Lord allow us to continue on? Only God knows. And we also know that the gospel has to be preached. Everyone 
has to have had a chance to have heard. I don't think that's done yet. Uh, but it, again, technology has improved rapidly. A lot of people have make false predictions. Again, we want to be careful about that issue. Uh, a lot of money tied up in this. There are people who actually sell their property and give up their homes, and they yep. get upset about this. And so we need to be gentle with this passage, but we also need to realize that it could be pointing towards our own era in particular. Certainly, uh, things in the information age have gotten so bad in many ways. Now, that's not to say it isn't good, the technology, but it can be abused. Uh, a person can be found, for example, guilty before he's even had a chance or she yeah. to explain their side yeah. of the story. When I look at this passage, there's a sense in which a person could say, if these are signs of the end time, and there's a sense in which the people that do these things are hastening the end. And so it seems to me that a big point of this passage is to look in this passage and see ourselves. Right. For men will be lovers of self. Am I a lover of self? Men will be lovers of money. Am I a lover of money? Mm-hmm. Am I proud? Am I arrogant? When we look at that, we can ask ourselves, am I guilty right. of bringing the end? In other words, so we are to be ready, we are to be holy, we are to proclaim our Lord Jesus, we are to look for how our lives can be a witness to those around us. This could almost be used, this passage, as a good uh, preparation for uh, the sacrament of reconciliation. You could take a look at it, or an appendant service, uh, to, to examine one's conscience. And you know, to play it from that angle and say, well, maybe, they, maybe I was disobedient to my parents. Or maybe I could have done it differently. And, yeah, maybe I wasn't nice to that waitress at the restaurant. I was more concerned about the money, that, you know, than I was her well-being, you know, in any way. But it's these are words that have practical application. And certainly if we are guilty of these things, we hasten. That's such a great point because you could ask yourself as you're standing there before the Blessed Sacrament or in the line for the confessional, do I believe this or do I deny the power of it? Do I recognize the beauty of the mystery? And am I the kind of a person that people should avoid? Mm-hmm. Lord Jesus, help me. I mean, that's really what this passage what draws us to. Father, thank you for joining us on the program. Okay, it's a privilege to be here, Marcus. And uh, uh, again, I ask the Lord to continue using you, even though you're a retired priest. I know you. it's not that you're no longer busy, right? Oh, I stay busy all the time. Every day. You betcha. For the good of the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank all of you for joining on this program. I hope this was an encouragement. You read that passage, and as Father says, examine yourself when you read that passage, especially when you're standing in line to meet our Lord. God bless you. See you again soon.